We talked last week about, uh, I just want to review just a little about how you see yourself. If you have a grasshopper mentality when it comes to finances, which to be honest with you, I believe most people do. I believe most people don't think they could ever get to a point of wealth. Don't raise your hands. But I just, most people have the mentality, if they could just get by, that would be great. And then there's probably a bigger mentality to think, if I could just have a little extra, just a little extra. That's all I'm asking for. Well, I'm just saying that's, um, you need to increase your thinking. That's grasshopper, just to be honest with you, this is not my opinion, that's grasshopper mentality. And if you don't know what that means, you need to listen to last week's. But I believe I've heard my good friend Billy Wayne say this. He says that money is attracted, not pursued. He said that years ago, and I thought, I smiled like I knew what it meant. But um, money is attracted, not pursued. What does that mean? Money is not going to be attracted to you if you have a grasshopper mentality. If you think that... Uh, you just want to get your needs met, money's not going to be attracted to you. But if you do have a greater mentality that God is the one who gives you power to get wealth, then it's going to increase and money will be attracted to you then and you won't have to chase it down like the world does. Hallelujah. And th- last week we said this, that you're, you'll never live beyond your beliefs. You remember that? And so if you're believing just to live paycheck to paycheck, guess what? You're going to live paycheck to paycheck. But if you have a greater mentality that God has given you the power to get wealth, let's just be perfectly clear. I said this last week, to be a blessing to the kingdom of God. That's the number one reason. But uh, then you will have a greater mentality and money will be attracted to you. Hallelujah. So, but you'll never arise above what you believe. You will never rise above what you believe. In other words, if you're believing, if you say, well, yeah, I believe in for wealth. But inside, you and I know as a man thinking so is he. If you're believing, well, I just never can get to that. You, you, you won't have to wake up one morning and go, whoa, no. no. <laughs> we need to fix our gaze, our eyes upon Jesus, what he did for us. And, man, I'm telling you, it just blessed me that how... Paul taught grace to the Philippi church, the Philippian church, and uh, it says they went from extreme poverty to extravagant generosity. How many want to have extravagant generosity? You know, I'm from Kentucky. I'm not really great on definitions, but I like the word extravagant generosity. I may not tell you in detail what that means, but it's good. 2 Corinthians 8, we said this. I'm just going to go over this because I I just need to reiterate it. Uh, Beloved ones, we must tell you about the grace of God poured out upon the churches of Macedonia. He wants to tell you about what? The grace of God. Verse 2, for even during a season of severe difficulty and tremendous suffering, they became even more filled with joy. From the depths of their extreme poverty, superabundant joy overflowed into an act of extravagant generosity. And what caused that? When they got excited about hearing about the grace of God, about the grace of God. So, uh, and we said this, the, the churches of Macedonia were the, the, the first one was Philippi, the Philippian church. 
Thessalonica, and Berea. So those are the three churches that uh, were the main churches of Macedonia. Philippi was the number one church, and Paul says they were the number one supporters of his ministry. How many know that Jesus had supporters in his ministry? Women were really the biggest supporters of Jesus' ministry. He had a great, you know, people says Jesus was poor. No, he was not. He became poor on the cross and bore the curse of poverty upon himself 2,000 years ago. But when his ministry was on this earth, he was not poor. You really don't need a treasurer if you're poor. People who uh, are poor don't have a treasurer. Why do you have a treasurer? Well, you know, I just do. No, you have a treasurer because you've got money. <laughs> and people don't gamble over your clothes if you're poor. When they, got, they stripped him of his clothing, the soldiers, the Roman soldiers, who were probably pretty well off, they gambled for his clothes. So, and the point is, the point is, Jesus was into designer clothes, evidently. Okay. The finished work of Jesus Christ is the foundation for New Testament prosperity. That is the foundation. That is the major foundation is his grace, what he has done for you and me. And I see in the church, I've seen it in my life, that um, I believe in tithing, yet I, I say that, but yet I really don't. I believe in, in something greater than that. Because this is what I see. I see the church around the world filling out the religious square and throwing in their tithe check every Sunday morning. That is a works mentality. I'm sorry to say I've done that. Maybe you have. Where you tithe because that's just the good thing that we're supposed to do. And for those who don't know, tithe is 10% of your income. 10% of your income. My wife and I give about 15 to 20%. And we don't give it because, oh, this is 15%, so this is what we give. It just comes out to about that when I figured it out. We don't do that. You know, and trust me, I don't know what anybody gives here. So that my secretary does the, the money. I don't even do any of that. So I don't know what anybody gives, okay? Okay? So nobody think, uh, you know, that I'm talking about you. Uh, I could be talking about you, but I don't know it. But, uh, you know, I see people, I've heard of people who give $123.57. And if you do, just keep looking forward and smile. But listen, I think you may have a legalistic mindset if that's what you're doing. It could be. I'm not saying you do. It could be. Because you're given to the penny of what the tithe is. Is that really what Jesus wants you to do? First of all, we need to give from our heart, the motive of our heart. You know, it's just like when I, if somebody went and bought me something, you know, and I said, can you stop at Walmart and pick this up? And, it, and you know, ice cream, you know, let's just be real. I may have Danielle or somebody say, hey, could you pick up some ice cream? And it costs uh, $6, I have no idea, and 23 cents. I don't pull out my wallet and get $6 out and go, honey, do you? Mel, do you have 23 cents? I just don't do that. You know, I'll give her at least $7 or 10 probably just round it up, round it up. Emphasis on up. Emphasis on up. I'm just saying if we're not careful as a church, 
we get works mentality when it comes to our giving. And I'm going to be honest with you. If it's a works mentality, that means there's no grace involved. And that means there's no blessing in it. There's people that I know who've tithed for 30 years. And there's no difference in their life financially than somebody who doesn't tithe. There's something wrong with that picture. I said there's something wrong with that picture. It shouldn't be that way. Is, and like I said last week, is giving part of the equation? It's part of the equation, but it is not the foundation of you walking in the prosperity of God. I know many ministers will disagree, maybe some of you. That's okay. My wife disagrees with me on certain things, and we're still married. But anyway, I just sense this in my heart, what the Lord is teaching me, and that is that if you're giving... Listen to me now. This is so good. If you're giving to get God to do something, that is self-righteousness when it comes to your giving. Amen. If you're trying to do right so that you can look good in front of God, that's self-righteous when it comes to righteousness. You do know that you can't do anything to get righteous. You are Made righteous. Let's bring it down another notch. How about when it comes to healing? You can't do something to get God to heal you. Amen. I used to do that. I've, I've filled out all of these squares that I'm talking about. So I'm not talking about from some book I read. No, I've done them all. I've tried to live right so I look right. Tried to be right so God would think I'm right. And that's why the Bible says all of your righteousness is filthy rags. But if you know who you are in Christ, you know that I've been made righteous. You've been made righteous. And when it comes to healing, you can't do something to get God to heal you. What he did for you, he did it 2,000 years ago. The finished work of the Lord Jesus Christ, that's why Jesus said it is, it is, it is finished. What is finished? Everything that you need for life and to godliness, everything that you will ever need or even can conceive that you will need has been accomplished 2,000 years ago. Whether it's finances, whether it's healing, whether it's peace, whether it's joy, whether it's victory, whether it's anything that you need for a great relationship, it is finished. Ephesians 2.8, for by grace you've been saved through faith, and that not of yourselves, it's the gift of God. You were saved by how? By grace through faith. So when it comes to healing, you've been healed by grace through healing, through faith, through faith. Let me say it one more time. You've been healed by grace through faith. When it comes to prosperity, by grace through faith. It's all. Nothing has changed, and yet we try to get things into a formula. We try to get things into a formula. When we try to get things into a formula, we leave Jesus outside of the box. And we put ourselves inside the box. I have to do A, I have to do B, I have to do C. I have to dot my I, I have to cross my T. I have to do this to get God to do something. Anything that you want to put that in, it's self-righteousness. In other words, Jesus wasn't enough. We do that in the financial realm. 
If you think that I'm just going to work, I'm going to be a self-made man. That's what I'm going to be. I'm going to be a self-made man. I'm going to work 80 hours. I'm Bless God, I've got a nice house. I remember back in the late 80s, early 80s, early 80s. I'm sorry, early 80s. I was working six, seven days a week for FedEx, and uh, this was 19, mid-80s, actually 84, 85. I made $38,000. That was real good money back in the 80s. But I did that by Mike. You know, in the book of Proverbs, it says that you can get up before the sun rises and work all day, and it's vain. You can get prosperous by working hard. I have a, I feel like I have a strong work ethic. I think that's what you're supposed to have. But when it comes to prosperity, if you and I, listen to me, if you and I are relying upon our work ethic, upon what we can do, you're self-righteous when it comes to finances. That's why Jesus said you need to labor to enter into his rest. You have to work at entering into his rest. How do you do that? You have to get outside of yourself and trust and believe Jesus for all that you have, whether it's your salvation, whether it's your healing, whether it's your prosperity, whether it's your peace, whether it's your joy, whether it's your patience. I can't do anything to try to get more patient. I can't do anything to get more prosperous. I can't get, now listen to me. Next week we're going to talk about a major principle that you need to know that God has provided and has the grace for you to do so you can prosper in everything. I'll give you a clue. You know, most people, they have a, maybe a 12 by 10, you know, Melly has like a 18 by something, six garden. Did you know God can bless that, but there's only so much stuff that can come out of an 18 by 6 garden. Does that make sense? So people say, well, you know, I'm, I'm, I've got a minimum wage job. Well, there's only so much that God can do in that minimum wage job. So you need to get a bigger field so that God can increase that field. He will increase what you have. Does that make sense? So, you know, uh, in Kentucky, we, I never heard of the word sections when they were talking about land. We just heard acres, acreage. acres and acreage, you know. And then when I came to Colorado, somebody says, oh, he's got a section of land. Well, how big is the section, you know? I mean, I'm, to me, a section, oh, oh, is it just a little bitty section? Is it a section of land, you know? <laughs> 12 by 10, hey, no, one mile square. Am I, am I right, Dan? It's one mile square. It's a section. And I went to, to eastern Colorado, and um, I was talking to this person. They said, yeah, we have so many sections of land. And I went, sections? I mean, that means one mile by square, one mile, and another mile, and another mile. I mean, you have to have a vehicle that has an engine on it to get you to the other side because you ain't going to walk there. It'll get dark before you get to the end of their property. And I'm thinking, wow. Now, listen to me. God can bless all of those sections and prosper everything that uh, that piece of land can grow crops on to the nth degree. 
But if you have a half acre, there's only going to be so much crops that God can bless that part of the land to produce. So the problem is, you and I are just believing God for our 8 by 10 to bless it. And he'll bless that 8 by 10. But there's only so much blessing that 8 by 10 can produce. Let me put it this way. The ocean is his supply. But you and I walk from Pueblo with a teaspoon to go get our harvest to the ocean. And we dip in. We got it. By the time you get a bucket walking back and forth from Pueblo to the ocean, you, you'll be dead by the time you get a bucket. My point is there's not a short supply or a shortage of abundance of what God has given to you and to me already. There's no shortage of money. There is no shortage of money in Pueblo, in the Congo, or any country on this planet. There's no shortage. There's just a shortage of people's mentality. There's a shortage of people's lack of knowledge of not knowing what Jesus has done for you and me. Honey, if I'm, we're going to the ocean, man, I'm going to get something that's humongous. I'm going to get something big. How about you? But the church goes with a spoon, a tablespoon, and goes, well, I'm just going to believe the Lord's going to bless me. He'll bless you. He goes, oh, you got a tablespoon? I'll fill it all the way up. I filled it up for you. you got, then you take a bucket. He'll fill up that bucket because that's all. He's got it. There's not a shortage. You dip in. I got my bucket. Or you can get one of those monster tanks, you know, that hold one million gallons. Now we're talking. That was it backing up in case you didn't know. But anyway, the knowledge of grace, the knowledge of grace of what God has done for you and me is where we're in a short supply of knowledge. A lot of people are giving. A lot of people are giving, but they're not walking in the manifestation of it. Why? They're believing for God to do something. I'm going to give so God can do something. I said it last week. I'm going to say it again. I'm giving because I know he has done something. That's a greater faith response. That's a greater faith response. Faith is a response of something that God has already done. Faith is a response of what God has already done. So if I truly believe that God has prospered me. Now listen, you got to get a hold of your mind to do this. But if I truly believe that God has prospered, has already prospered me, then 10% is nothing. To be honest with you, 20% is nothing. It's your trust factor has to get involved. Do you really believe what God has done? Can you trust what God has done? Not everybody's there. There's some people that are not even at the 10% factor. There's no condemnation here. That's why you're sitting in this church today, so you can increase. Because you keep coming here, honey. You and me together, we're growing. We will grow and grow and grow and grow and grow. We'll grow together. I haven't arrived, but I have left the port. We've all left. And I'm telling you, God wants you and me to be so blessed that there will be no missionary that it, that's connected with this church that will not have a need. will say, we can do that. 
I'm telling you, it's the will of God. Philippians 4.19, my God, this is, everybody can quote this. My God shall supply all your need according to his riches in glory. Most people stop right there. My God supplies all of my need according to his riches and glory. The most important part is the part that people don't quote. By Christ Jesus. By who? Not by your job, not by your effort, not by anything to do with you, but by Christ Jesus. That's how we walk in getting every need met. Don't forget that. And how does he do that? How do we do that? By grace, he says. It's by grace. The Philippian church went from extreme poverty to extravagant generosity. How? Because they understood about the grace of God, what he did for them 2,000 years ago. It wasn't 2,000 years when he taught that, but anyway. Do you understand? So you have to get a hold of this. So now when you give, I know you've already given. That's all right. But now when you give, give with that expectancy that God has already prospered me. I'm trusting you, God, that you made me the head and not the tail. I'm trusting you that whatever I put my hand to, it surely prospers. I am above and not beneath. Oh, my barns are filled. They're overflowing. I am blessed. That's why we say that. I know some of you think, why do you say that? That is not just for her to fill out our dead time. We quote that every Sunday so you will get into your mind. I am blessed. I am blessed. I'm not giving to get blessed. I am already blessed. And that's why I give, I give, I give because I'm blessed, I'm blessed. You cannot bless what God, you cannot curse what God is blessed. People are afraid, oh, the devil's going to get me. No, I'm not afraid of the devil. I'm not afraid of any curse. I'm not afraid of anybody when it comes to finances. Why? Because what God is blessed. No devil, no man. You can't speak anything over my life. It'll just bounce off me and come on you. I'm Teflon. This is a Teflon suit. It won't stick. Only blessings stick on me. It's kind of like Band-Aid. I am stuck on Jesus because Jesus stuck on me. That's the Band-Aid song, in case you didn't know what that song was. <laughs> Philippians 4.19, the Passion Translation. It says it this, I am convinced. This is where Paul was at. He was convinced. Are you convinced? You keep coming to this church, and our goal is to get you convinced. All right? I am convinced that my God shall fully satisfy every need you have. For I have seen the abundant riches of glory revealed to me through the anointed one, Jesus Christ. In other words, Paul says, I've seen the ocean when it comes to the blessings and the riches of God. I've seen the ocean. You and me, we have, we've seen our little bitty ponds. That's one negative thing about Colorado. You know, they call ponds here or lakes here that back in Kentucky, we, we would say, no, that's a pond. That's a pond. Back east, you know, we, we have ponds that are bigger than most people's lakes around here. But uh, you know, people, God is not just wanting you to fish out of a pond. He's wanting you to go to the ocean. That's where his abundance is. So it's by Christ Jesus. Is your giving a part of that? Yes, it is. Your giving is your faith. It's your trust factor. It's your faith. We are responding. But you have to not get that before the cart getting before the horse. I'm not giving to get. I've already got. I've already got. You know, that puts the devil on the defense. 
For the Christian, the believer, we're never supposed to be on the defense. Never. We're always offensive. We're fighting from a place of victory, not from a, a place of defeat. I'm fighting from a place of victory that I already have it. I am more than a conqueror, more than a conqueror. I'm fighting from that position where I know people are down here in the church. I'm just trying and begging. I'm crying and pleading God to do it. That's a point of defeat. And in reality, it's not faith. Oh, it's this reason what God has done for you and me that we legally can tap into all of the riches of his glory. All of the wealth has been provided for. Hallelujah. So, Jesus bore your sin. He became sin who knew no sin. He bore your sickness who knew nothing about sickness. But he also bore your poverty. He bore it. He bore it. So, giving is a corresponding action to something that you believe in. I know that you, you may not have heard that, but you just think about that. I'm giving because it's a corresponding action of something I know is true and real. Hallelujah. So, Jesus bore it. Proverbs eleven twenty four. Give freely, become more wealthy. Be stingy and lose everything. Does anybody need an interpretation for that? You need to know what that means in the Hebrew. <laughs> you, need to, you need a Hebrew translation for that? It says the generous will prosper, verse 25. Why will the generous prosper? It says those who refresh others will themselves be refreshed. So he's saying that if you're generous, you're, you're, you're going to prosper. I don't try to be generous so that I will prosper. See, that was my mentality. Well, I just need to be generous so I will prosper. No. You don't have a revelation of it then. You don't have it. I'm just trying to act like I'm victorious. No, you don't have a, a revelation of it then. I am victorious. Therefore, I'm going to respond like a victorious man would respond. So I'm generous. It says... Give freely and become more wealthy. Be stingy and lose everything. The generous will prosper. That's a person who understands about the grace of God. In 1 Chronicles chapter 29, I think it's 29. You ought to read that. This is when they were taking up an offering for the, for the temple. They, you know, people, you know, religious people, they used to say, you shouldn't let anybody know about your giving, you know. But that was concerned giving to the poor. And that was because you don't want to embarrass the poor person. You shouldn't just tell people, well, we're going to take up an offering for so-and-so so because, you know, Jamie, she can't make her car payment, so we're going to take up an offering. Well, you just embarrassed her now. So that's why you give your giving in secret. But when you're just giving for the, to the, the work of God or whatever, there's nothing. That's just religious, you know, people not wanting to know what they give. Most of the time people don't want people to know because it's so little. But anyway, um, I'm just seeing if I feel any love. But um, David in 1 Chronicles chapter 29, he says what he gave. And by today's standards, it was billions of dollars with a B. B as in billion. He, he just, 
He just stuck out there. And you know why he did? He was doing an example, and then he turned to his mighty man and says, what you guys going to give? So they started reaching for their wallet. But David understood. This is why David had the Bible. Jesus said this about David. He says, he has a heart after me. Why did he have a heart after him? It was based upon fellowship and relationship. It wasn't based upon a formula. When it comes to prosperity, the Lord is teaching. I don't know it all yet, but he's teaching me. Mike, it's based upon a relationship and fellowship that you have with me of how high you want to go in this. It's not based upon how much you even give. Because as you get learn of me, of how good I am, it's going to be obvious in your giving of how much you give. But it's not how much you give as far as your prosperity is concerned. It's how much you're walking and trusting in me. I don't think you got it. Your prosperity and my prosperity is based upon relationship and fellowship. It's not based upon your giving and filling out a religious square. It's based upon how much you know him, how much he loves you, how much he did for you, how good he is to you. That's how you're going to be living and walking in the realm of prosperity. I know this is really different because, I mean, I listen to teaching of people who I look up to all the time. And I, I know they may disagree with this, but that's all right. I truly believe this. I believe this. And man, I'm telling you, God, we, I'm, my family's blessed. We are blessed. We give more now than we ever have. It's not because I'm going, okay, $129.58. Just first, just break through that mentality. At least put a zero on the end of the number you're filling out. 130, not 129.97 cents. <laughs> Trust me, God doesn't need your extra three cents. <laughs> he doesn't need your three cents. But he is looking at your heart. People say, well, you know, we just have to be careful, you know, because, you know, God told that one guy to give all that he had. Do you know why? It's the only time, one time in the Bible. And then people make this big deal about it because of money being so wicked. One time, Jesus said, sell all that you have. Give to the poor and come and follow me. Why did he only say that to one person? Because for that one person, he could not trust God. He was so consumed with his money that he trusted in his money. And God knew that it's either the money or me. You can't trust both. So I'm going to set you free. You just sell all that you have and give it away. Come and follow me. Let me just ask you something. Do you think he would have struggled financially after that? No. Not a bit. Uh, Melody told me, I haven't read this, but uh, Warren Buffett, he tried to give away a lot of his money in the last few years. I mean, he just to charities and just, I mean, billions of dollars he gave it away the following year. He had more. He just says, you know, I don't want to just deal with all this, so I'm just going to try to just give it away and give it away, give it away. And he did. And he just all came back. Why? Was, you know, because this may shock you. This works for all people that are created in the image of God, which means all people. Give freely and become more wealthy. It's just the heart. It's the attitude. Be stingy and lose everything. 
The generous will prosper. Those who refresh others themselves. I got to hurry up. Let me get to. Um, and people say this too. Well, you, Pastor, you just need to die to yourself when it comes to money. I'm going to give you a great definition that you won't forget about dying to self. Because that's a religious term that's thrown around in churches. You know, I'm just carrying my cross and I need to die to myself. Dying to yourself means this. Anything outside of Jesus, you need to be dead to. What do I mean by that? Inside of Jesus, I'm healed, I'm blessed. Oh, everything that 1 Corinthians 6, 17, he that is joined to the Lord is one spirit. I'm one with Jesus. We are one. I have everything that pertains to life, to godliness. That's it. What I need to die to is this mentality over here. It says, I've got to work, and I've got to do this, and I've got to be right, and I've got to struggle, and I've got to, I've got to give more, and I've got to do this. And No, that's the guy you need to die to. That's the mentality you need to die to. Not this guy. Matthew 17, 24. This is when Peter, he had a need. Peter had a need. It says, when they had come to Capernaum, those who received the temple tax came to Peter and said, does your teacher pay the temple tax? Verse 25. He said, yes. <laughs> now listen. This is faith talking because he, he, he didn't know anything about Jesus paying taxes. He said, Yes. And when he come into the house, Jesus anticipated him saying, so in other words, he was going to call, talk to Jesus about paying taxes because he just told the temple guy, uh, yeah, yeah, he pays taxes. So he needed to pay the tax. Jesus needed to pay the tax. So he was getting ready to come into the house and talk to Jesus about, <clears throat> Jesus, uh, we need to pay the temple tax. But Jesus knew Listen to me. He knew what he was going to not only ask and talk to him about, he knew the need before he even talked to him about the need. Listen to that. Because before you talk to God about any need, there is already an answer. Jesus anticipated him saying, What do you think, Simon? From whom do the kings of the earth take customs or taxes? From the sons or from the strangers? Peter said, from the strangers, Jesus said to him, then sons are free. Nevertheless, let me just stop right there. Jesus was making a point. He says, my father is over everything and owns everything, and I'm his son. When it comes to the temple, I don't owe any taxes. That's what he's saying. But nevertheless, lest we offend them, go to the sea, cast in a hook, and take the fish that comes up first, and when you have opened its mouth, you will find a piece of money. Take that and give to them for me and you. So Peter has a need. He comes to Jesus about the need. All right? And he says what to do, how to do it, where to do it, and when to do it. He tells him the what, the how, the where, and the when. Jesus covers everything. What to do? Peter, go fishing. Now, he puts his pole on his shoulder, and he's walking down. Everybody says, what, what are you doing, Peter? Because he doesn't fish with a pole. He says, I'm doing this so I can go pay my taxes. People look at him and go, come again? What? what? You pay your taxes? You're going to go fishing with a pole, not a net? Yeah. 
He told him to go fishing. How to do it? Use a hook. I know you always, you're a fisherman. You use a net. Don't use a net. Use a hook. So he told him how to do it. Where? The sea. Don't go to a river. Go to the sea. When? Now. Go. In the Greek uh, tense of that word go, it means right now. So he told him what, the how, the where, and the when. And then he told him, as far as regarding the how, he gave specific instructions to Peter. He said, the very first fish that you catch, open up its mouth. You're going to see a gold coin in there. Take that and pay the taxes. Very, very specific instructions. But those instructions, listen to me now, were not based upon a formula. It was 100% based upon fellowship and relationship. He was walking with Peter. Jesus and Peter were walking, always talking together, and always communicating, being close together. It was all about relationship. It wasn't based upon formula. How in the world could you ever figure out about paying your taxes by going fishing and getting a gold coin out of a fish? Nobody thinks like that. And neither would have Peter. But Jesus said, this is how we're going to get our taxes paid. It was all about fellowship. Matthew 7, 7, the message translation says this. Don't bargain with God. Be direct. Ask for what you need. This isn't a cat and mouse and hide and seek game we're in. If you're a child, ask for bread. Do you trick him with sawdust? If he asks for fish, do you scare him with a live snake on his plate? As bad as you are, you wouldn't think of such a thing. You're at least decent to your own children. So don't you think the God who conceived you in love will be even better? John 14, 16. And I will ask the Father and he'll give you another advocate who will never leave you. He's the Holy Spirit who leads into all truth. The world cannot receive him because it isn't looking for him and doesn't recognize him. But you know him. Because he lives with you now and later will be in you. No, I will not abandon you as orphans. I will come to you. What Jesus is saying is that, listen, I know your needs. Talk to me about your needs. Do you think Peter was just a, a minority case? Do you think he is discriminatory as far as, I only do this for you, Peter? Because I know you're a handful, so I'm having mercy on you. You're loud mouth, lying, piece of junk guy, so I'm just going to do this special thing for you. No. All of his children, based upon this, everybody that is one of his kids, everybody that is one of his kids, he says, I'm going to listen to you, and I'm going to take care of you. But you've got to ask for it. John 16, 7. However, I'm telling you nothing but the truth. When I say it is profitable, good, expedient, and advantageous for you that I go away. Because if I go away, the comforter, the counselor, helper, advocate, intercessor, strengthener, standby will not come to you until close fellowship with you. But if I go away, I will send him to you to be close fellowship with you. So he's sitting there saying, it's better if I leave. Now, can you imagine Peter hearing that? Peter just got specific instruction from Jesus about getting his taxes paid. But Jesus says, Peter and all of you, it is better for me to leave and go 
than for me to stay here and keep walking with you in the natural. He says, it's better. Now, do we believe the word? So if it's better, what is he saying? Because he says, when I go, God is going to come inside all, every single one of us. Now, if Jesus is in Jerusalem and you're in Nazareth, you don't have to make a trek to Jerusalem to go get wisdom, to, to ask him a question, to talk to him about anything. You know? That's why somebody said, that's why I bow my head, because I'm talking to God right there, right there. <laughs> He's with you. He's in you. So it's more advantageous, all right? 1 Corinthians 2.12. We'll close up with this. For we did not receive the spirit of the world system, but the spirit of God, so that we might come to understand and experience all that grace has lavished upon us. Did you hear that phrase? He says, I want you to understand all that grace has lavished upon us. And we articulate these realities with the words imparted to us by the Spirit and not with words taught by human wisdom. We join together Spirit-revealed truths with Spirit-revealed words. Someone living on the entirely human level rejects the revelations of God's Spirit for they make no sense to him. You know, like, you want to pay your taxes? Go fishing. He can't understand the revelations of the Spirit because they are only, listen to me, discovered by the illumination of the Spirit. Those who live in the Spirit are able to carefully evaluate all things, and they are subject to the scrutiny of no one but God. So what he's saying is this. The reason why fellowship with Jesus and your Heavenly Father is so vitally important because there's only going to be things revealed to you by the spirit realm on the inside, nothing outside. It's human intellect, but you can get it from the inside because of a fellowship and a relationship that you and I have with Jesus that he's always wanting to share with us. He's always going to be pointing to the ocean and not the teaspoon. Put the teaspoon down. No, just put that down. You don't need that. Don't just put that. No, get that. Give me the teaspoon. <laughs> he, he has to deal with us like we deal with toddlers. But God, I, 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 I want to do my part. I want to just get, I just make, need to, I just got to, and God says, no, look at me. I've already done this for you. Now you need to believe in me and trust in me. And I'm going to tell you what to do. Next week, we're going to talk about a principle that I guarantee you, if we get a hold of, you will increase. Thank you for that enthusiasm. I saw something about Abraham and Isaac that I've never seen before in my whole entire life. And you can't wait to hear it. That's all I'm going to say. But I'm telling you, there are things in the Bible that we don't know nothing about that God says you can walk in healing, you can walk in prosperity, you can walk in peace and joy and kindness and self-control. You can do all of that, and little by little we're learning. We're taking little baby steps. We're taking steps to live in the life that God intended you and me to live, which is what? More than a conqueror, which means what? I don't have to conquer this. 2000 years. I don't have to conquer poverty. Don't have to work my way out of poverty. It's already been conquered 2000 years ago. I don't have to conquer sickness or any disease that comes upon me. It was already conquered. I don't have to conquer any problem or addiction that I, I've adapted or embraced. I don't have to conquer it. It's already been conquered. When I come to that conclusion and 
from this height of a point of view that Jesus conquered it for me, then I'm put into a realm of being more than a conqueror. Let's stand.